This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice day after day to follow Christ outside the walls. And apparently outside the walls is the place to be if you can manage it, so long as you stay six feet apart and you're wearing a mask. Uh, inside, inside apparently is uh, not as favorable these days as uh, things can get passed around a little bit more easily in confined spaces. So, not, yeah, the wide open spaces of the outdoors is the place to be. And who would have thought all the way back in early March when this was just kind of first popping onto the scene in a lot of our consciousness, uh, who would have thought that here we'd be at the very end of July, just, you know, stone's throw distance from August, and still being impacted and affected by this in a really profound way. Uh, lots going on in the news. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but you know, there's not a whole lot else that really takes up quite as much mental energy as this. And so I, I'm looking at all that's going on. And as I'm listening to to the news and I'm watching blogs and I'm listening to podcasts, the conversation that's going on right now is whether or not schools are going to return to face-to-face -face classroom instruction. Uh, and in many places in the in the country, the answer to that is no at least not in the way that we have uh, traditionally understood that to be, that something is going to be different. Some places, they're not opening at all. They've already made the determination that the school's face-to-face, in-person instruction will not take place this next school year. And, uh, and that's thrown people into a little bit of a tizzy, specifically if you are a parent who was not planning on homeschooling and you're trying to figure out how, how are we going to pull this off? Now, all of you homeschool parents that are out there who have a little bit of a leg up, uh, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. One, pray for all of those people who are coming into this um, really unprepared and maybe a little bit uh, nervous, probably a little bit more than nervous. So first thing is pray for those who are around you. The second thing is if you have experience in this, and a lot of folks do, um, why don't you share it? You know, help um, maybe direct to, to co-ops or curriculums or uh, those of you who are quite experienced in the homeschool world, take under your wings those who are coming into this not by choice, but by necessity. So um, praying for you, I am. We homeschooled for a long time. This uh, last year, we were able to have the kids in parochial school, but this year, uh, specifically the part of the country we live in, we are doing the homeschool thing again, and we are... Um, thankfully, thankfully, we are somewhat accustomed to it. So uh, I'm watching all of this take place. And uh, and I want to tell you, if you are not accustomed to homeschooling and you're moving that direction because of necessity, it's going to be okay. If you're worried that your children are, uh, are going to be behind and that you're not going to be able to pull off the teaching thing and you're not sure it's going to work out, I want to tell you, it's going to work out. You are having the worries that every homeschool parent I've ever met has. And every homeschool family that I have met, and I'm sure that this is not universal, but the families that I've met, they pull it off and it works. And this is a different time 
and we're all going through this together. The, everyone is having the same experience that you're having, and this is just the world we live in at this time. And while we're talking about this, this is kind of where I want to spend our day, not so much on homeschooling, but on looking at the way that uh, the pandemic has completely upended our lives and realizing that things are not going back to normal as quickly as many of us expected. But I want to take that and say, okay, now that we have had this extended time away, let's look more seriously at the question of how do we return into uh, the, the operations of our life. At this point in time, I don't foresee that it's ever going to be a return to quote-unquote normal, to the way we used to do life. Um, there may be a time many years down the road where things kind of ease their way back to what we used to know, but looking at the way that the pandemic has already shaped culture in, in just this short amount of time, I don't foresee that it's just we're going to snap our fingers and everything is going to go back to normal. Uh, I foresee that there's going to be a lot of things that are subtly or not so subtly shifted. And so as we kind of look at this and examine what's going on in our broader society, I think that it it benefits us to take a look at these same questions with regard to our life of faith, to our parish life specifically. What is it going to look like? when we are able to completely return to church and to worship without restrictions. Um, this is going to be an opportunity for us to really re-engage with the mission, to, to extricate ourselves from the cultural things that have attached themselves to us as a church, and to look at this and say, okay, what is the mission of Christ's church and how are we living it out as a family, as a parish, and as a particular church, as a diocesan church? What are the things that we are doing that that are really fulfilling that mission? And what are the things that used to be normal or, or our understanding or our expectation of normal that um, really we're not part of the mission and we're preventing us from being the most effective. And let's not return to that normal. Let's take the time now and examine those questions so that when all of the restrictions are lifted, we can actually get into the mission of the church in a truly positive and transformative way. That's what we're going to talk about on the show today, but I want you to be a part of the conversation. So, come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Come and talk to me about what you see as something that maybe is, is status quo for the way that the parish is operated. Maybe your parish is operated that, that seems a little off. That seems like it's not central to the mission of the church that you hope we don't return to, but don't just talk about what kinds of things you want to leave behind uh, because this is not just about leaving things behind. It's about taking up our cross and taking up the mission that Christ gave the church and in going into the world uh, and making a difference uh, for the sake of the world. So what are the things that not only you want to see left behind as we return, but what are the things that we have been missing that you would like to see us pick up and carry forward with us as we enter back into... Um, into the normalcy 
a new normal of life. So come share your thoughts on social media, read the thoughts of others, and let's enter into a dialogue. Again, that's facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We're talking today with Tony Vicenda. We've had him on the show many times before. You know him from catholicbalm.co. He's got the, the Catholic beard balm that uh, that smells of of many different kinds of heaven. One, The, the first one, of course, was the chrism. Uh, which I was always against because I wanted to save chrism for itself until uh, we got into this quarantine. And I'm like, Kristen has uh, some of the um, the lotion that smelled like chrism. And so I've, I've broken that out a couple of times uh, long about Easter vigil. I'm like, no, 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 we need to, we need to have this because it's important. <laughs> so, uh, so Tony, uh, you were ahead of the curve. You got us yeah, all stocked th- up. There are a lot of people who have been uh, have been very excited when they were locked uh, in quarantine, especially on Easter, to be able to have that. I I agree with you. I I don't know that I could make chrism my daily bomb. I tend to reserve it for holy days mm-hmm. and for baptisms, confirmations, other other sacramental events. So I use it you know, from a place of significance. Also, I think there's a lot of people who don't, um, and I think it's fine either way. I know a lot of Catholics will smell that smell, and they'll like be able to identify somebody else in the room as Catholic. So it's kind of good for helping target in on who else in the room uh, has been through the sacraments, is is uh, living the faith, and desiring to share the faith. Um, so I think there's value to it. But yeah, for me, I'm at the same place. I think uh, you got to find another daily use bomb. You like Tilma, which we don't. I like don't actually Tilma. sell on the site all the time. Yeah, it's the, the other it's the, one. The other one I had was. Uh, the, I think the Lexio. Lexio, yeah, which has the smells of old books uh, in it. And so it's, it's an homage to the way scripture smells or the Bible smell as they, uh, they age. So they release vanilla and some of these deeper wood aromas. Um, we've actually been thinking about making a little bit of a change because there's almost uh, a coffee aroma, some earthiness that comes out in older books. Um, but we went with amber instead because there's a little bit more of a, of a sacred and kind of... Um, uh, elegant quality to amber that I felt was better for representing sacred reading of scripture too. So um, yeah, it's a bunch of different great aromas and I really love being able to support people who are in this kind of different time of church right now and bring the smells of church home. Even as a lot of people have started going back to mass, we know that a lot of people still aren't comfortable going in Mm -hmm. to worship or that parishes have the size that prevents them from being able to actually do mass for everybody on a given weekend. You know, I have to tell you, uh, one of the other uses that I use, I have the, um, I had the beard balm for a long time. I also have the, the beard oil. Uh, and one of the things I use the oil for, uh, in addition to, you know, keeping the, the, the beard in its proper place, uh, which is easier for me because mine's shorter than yours. Um, the other thing I use it for is, you know, the mask that you wear, it, it can get a little bit, uh, you can tell it's been worn a couple of days and you, you wash it, you do the best you can. But if you need a real quick refresh and you've got to go outside and you're like, uh, oh, it doesn't smell that great. You just put a drop of that beard balm right close to where the nose is going to be. And it, it fixes it right up. Uh, a friend of mine, Cauche actually informed me of this great mask hack uh, last <laughs> week that, that, you know, he walks around, he wears one called heart of the mountain, which is, um, uh, if I wouldn't get in trouble for saying it's homage to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, then I would say that. Um, they, uh, um, so it's got kind of this this earthy, rich quality to it. Um, and it's kind of inspired by the the dwarves of, of Lonely Mountain and, and their quest. 
Uh, so anyways, we, uh, he sent me the other day, like, you know, if he doesn't remember to put on beard balm on a heavy mass day, he ends up smelling his own mouth by the end of the day. Yep. As remember to, then all he's smelling is, uh, earthy scents and rich dwarven perfumes, uh, <laughs> was his, his message to me. And so, uh, he, he sent me a picture of him, uh, wearing his mask. And so I, I, I posted that on the front of his mask as if it was, uh, what was printed there and, and popped it out on the internet. So if you're at Catholic Bomb Co. on Facebook or Instagram, you can you can see Cow in all his glory uh, and uh, and hear about that mask hack. But yeah, uh, there are a lot of great, great things that it it allows people to do. And again, we've got, got lotions. He launched a uh, line of colognes and perfumes. And then um, I'll actually, I'll drop this on your show. You're going to get a, an outside Ooh. the wall uh, exclusive scoop here. Uh, very few people know about this. It hasn't been, hasn't been publicized anywhere even on Catholic Balm Co. Uh, hopefully next week, uh, we'll be announcing our line of all natural deodorants also too. And so, uh, and we won't, we don't do chrism with everything. Um, uh, you know, for me, there has to be kind of a tie-in for it. Again, there is a level of reverence we want for that. So we won't be doing chrism scented deodorant because I think that would be distasteful <laughs> the least. And so, um, but we have been road testing it for over a year now. It's got spent time in the desert, it spent time in human Philadelphia and bright and delightful Seattle and Milwaukee, all across the U.S. Um, we sent out about 36 different groups of people to have samples and give it a try for the three different aromas that we're launching with. And they're all really amazing. We've made some refinements based on that, but most of them are just ready to go out of the gate. And um, we're super thrilled to be able to to bring that new product out right in the middle of the hotness of summer also too. Indeed. So of course, this is always a fun thing to talk about. It, it's, um, it, it is a tribute to your creativity, which you have in spades. Uh, <laughs> but the reason we have you on the show today is not so much to talk about this little bit of creativity, but to look to uh, doing something else a little bit creative. We were talking about, hey, things are a little bit different with the quarantine, you know, pulling out the the chrism uh, lotion to be able to smell it because you don't have Easter vigil, talking about learning to live with masks. Well, there's something else that I want to talk about because we have, for the most part, across the country, been really largely across the world, been without uh, regular mass, being able to go and participate in the liturgy of the church. Uh, and, and that's starting to turn. We're starting to see places open back up. Where I go to, to mass, they have um, outdoor liturgies, which how how up in the Pacific Northwest we have had so many weeks of Sundays where it hasn't rained, I cannot tell you. Uh, I see it as a true... Uh, signal grace that we've been able to go out and have mass outside. Some places are opening up mass uh, at a limited capacity indoors. Um, maybe you're in a place where you have to sign up to go to mass. I don't know. Wherever you are, we're starting to go back to mass, but still the life of the parish is not the same. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to talk about today with you, Tony, because uh, part of your journey from the Pacific Northwest, the best coast, out to uh, Philadelphia has been one of uh, recapturing a sense of community in church in a different way than you traditionally find uh, in, say, the last 30 years in a parish. Yeah. So I want to talk with this, um, this returning to Mass, asking the question, what kind of a parish should we be returning to? 
what kind of life of the Christian life should we live out as we have been absent from that community for several months now? As we come back into it, is there a way that we can reimagine what parish life looks like for the benefit of the church writ large? Yeah, I uh, I love that question. I think, uh, you know, our, our friend Marcel posted a question, you know, should we be going back to parish life as normal uh, earlier today, maybe yesterday? And my response was, <laughs> no. Um, and the reason I say that is we can identify, and, and, I, and I hope people can identify this, no matter what your parish you go to, no matter how satisfied you might be with your parish experience or how dissatisfied you might be with your parish experience that um, no one person's experience of parish community is universal. It's not what everyone experiences and parishes ebb and flow over the course of time. But if we look at the course of the last, well, let's just call it 50 years, um, we've seen really a, a lot of confusion around what parish life should and could look like. And really an, an unwillingness or an incapability to figure out what we hold on to from the richness of the tradition and how we bring that into the modern era in a way that really, um, as, as we're called to, captivates the hearts and the minds of those who are distant from God um, through the lives of those who, who come and attend Mass every Sunday. So um, how are we worshiping in a way that helps people actually enter into the source and summit of our faith, the Eucharist? Um, is there the intentionality that there needs to be around worship? If, if anything, in lots of ways, I feel like the pandemic made people ask the question, um, how do we actually do mass in a new context in a way that they may never have had to ask themselves that before? Um, I think there were a lot of good answers that came out of that. I think there was a lot of intentionality that came out. I think there are probably a lot of misses in a lot of different parishes also. And as we come back, we're able to ask that question again as we start to gather, as we have some limitations. But also, overwhelmingly, as our pews are not as full as we thought they might be, um, how, are we, how are we taking this opportunity to really engage people in worship? We had to stop last Sunday after Mass. Um, it's been going pretty well, but we're, we're a few months into this now. And just remind our kids, like, we practice, you know, posture at home. Like, we practice. We, we stand, we sit, we kneel. We're engaged in, in the act of worship. Even though we're looking at an altar and an ambo on a screen, even though we're seeing the Eucharist on the screen, um, we're still giving our attention to that. I need to be turned towards that. So you can't sit in the chair that's only kind of facing the screen, even though it's just a screen, like even though it's just a, a digital image of it, because part of this is our ability to give our attention to what's proper. I even have a hard time, I'll be honest with you, with the idea of oh, we'll just watch Mass later. It's just a live stream, so it's, it's not significant. Like, I have a hard time, if we, if we don't tune in live, I'd rather find a different Mass later on in the day um, because otherwise it seems like we have missed the moment of entering into worship, which isn't a limitation on God's part. That's totally a limitation on my part. Uh, but we're being able to ask all these questions for the first time in a long time. And I don't know that we've really capitalized on how we're having that conversation, even just from a sheer worship standpoint. But I think the length of time we've been away also has given us the opportunity to really, uh, in essence, cleanse our palate of whatever's mm -hmm. happened from church world before, whatever our experience was, whether it was good or whether it was bad, we've been able to stop and kind of say, well, it, it's not happening in the way that it was and it may not be able to happen in the way that it was. And so how are we leveraging new things? And I think that has implications in 
the way we we equip and deploy staff and what who we're who we're hiring, what we're putting the emphasis on. Um, I think it has uh, major implications for budgeting, as most people have seen a, a distinct drop in giving. And I think the big question is is how do we still do community well in this era and this phase of parish life? Because it's not going to look like it did before. Um, no matter what, like there's big gathered events that we used to to do for fundraisers, for community building, for other reasons, aren't going to happen within their same context. And in a lot of ways, we're able to pause and slow down and not just be caught in the go, 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 go reality and, and really kind of engage in those questions. Um, now, we're able to do all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the question is, are, I think, a lot of times parishes doing that? And, you know, Timothy, you just made a move. I made a move eight months ago. We've kind of resettled into our parish. Um, our parish was starting to ask some of those questions beforehand because I was challenging the pastor. He also had some initiatives in motion to try to build community and look at things in a different way. I don't know what's going to happen to those conversations mm-hmm. as we go forward. Um, you know, we were about to start a two-year-long evangelization thing in partnership with St. Paul Evangelization Institute. I'm still hoping to be teaching that class in the fall, but really we, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We were going to start community dinners every other yeah. week. We don't know what that's going to look like. You know, we had all these things kind of in place and, in, and planned and we're having to think about it at the parish, even though I'm not on staff there in a different way. And it's just as a parishioner, I'm, I'm interested uh, and I'm curious about, about what that's going to look like. And for the most part, um, a lot of the signals kind of seem to be, well, let's get back to business as normal business as usual, which I just don't, I don't think is where we should be headed. We're talking today with Tony Vicenda about reimagining parish as we come out of this pandemic. Well, so as you're talking about that, I, I see that question or that maybe that assumption in a number of people. You know what? We're going to figure all this out. Let's get back to business. Let's get things uh, settled. Let's get our feet under us. And then we can start to ask some of these questions again. And I'm with you. I'm not sure that that's the right order of doing things. I think that before we begin putting our feet back down on the ground, we should look to see if this is the solid ground that it's meant to be, or if this way of doing things has been sand underneath our feet, a foundation of sand that this pandemic may have washed away, or if it still stands. So some of what I'm looking at, um, I've been thinking about the life of St. Francis and a little bit about St. Benedict as well, who lived in, in cultures of excess, who lived in cultures that were focused on, on pleasure and on entertainment and um, looking around going, well, that looks kind of familiar <laughs> to, uh, to where we are as a culture ourselves. And they, they had the ability to step back and to look at themselves and to let go of some of the assumptions that, that life had kind of imbued them with because of the culture they lived in. They were able to let go of those things without um, feeling threatened by these challenged thoughts and begin saying, what are the ways that the church needs to be rebuilt? What are the ways that society needs to be rebuilt? And so as I'm looking at coming back from this, um, this pandemic, there's a couple of things. One, how do I live in community with those around me? But two, what are the things that I personally or that my parish uh, specifically uh, has held that may not actually be what's best for the community uh, not just the parish community of the people who go to mass, but the parish community of all of the people who live within the boundaries, the geographical boundaries that belong to that parish, 
regardless of race or class or socioeconomic level. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think Krista Fidelis Lee, she says it um, best when it talks about a parish uh, being a family set on fire, um, dot, 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 way later, inserted into the neighborhood of mankind uh, for the Christianization of the world. Uh, and I, I, for me, that's, that's really the vision that I hold on to when I think about parish. That's, that's what I meditate on. We tend to ecclesially think about parish as the buildings or the place we gather, as opposed to understanding parish as, as a geographic region that has been uh, populated by, by God with a family of believers, not just your family or my biological family, though I think that's an important part that we do need to double down on, but by a family of believers that he's called to that region and, he, and he, he wants to set them on fire with a common faith, with a common spirit, with a common vision and, and insert them into their neighborhoods in order to transform the world. And that that is a vision of what the parish is. And that the place where we gather, the place where we come to receive the source and summit, the place where we come to worship is incredibly, incredibly important as the place where we're fed, where we're healed, where we return to, where everything is rooted. But it is, it is from being rooted there that we're actually able to go out and live that vision. We're able, we go there to be set on fire and then we go out to carry the flame uh, out. And I, that's the part where I, that I think we're missing. Yeah. It's the part that I think we've been missing for a while. And I think, I think it's the part we need to get back to. You know, I, I recall when we first became Catholic, I was living in the Diocese of Tulsa. I ended up working there at the Chancery. And the the bishop, who I had the pleasure of interacting with at the time, um, Bishop Edward Slattery, uh, he said something that I had never in my Protestant years ever heard of in my life, talking about the local parish and, you know, growing growing up and being in church staffs in the Protestant world. It was, the local church is the individual congregation. And he said, no, the, the local church is the diocese, and then the parishes are part of that local church. And he said, I'm responsible for every person in the diocese. I'm re- spiritually responsible for the whole diocese, whether they're Catholic or not. And that just, that was a, a huge revelation to me that, yes, God has placed us, we family of faith Catholics, uh, in this diocese, in our particular church, in the parish that we're in, for the purpose of setting us on fire, not for ourselves and our own feeding, but for the sake of the whole parish community, everyone who lives in the boundaries, some of whom have no knowledge of, of not even knowledge of who Jesus is uh, textually, much less who he is in personal relationship. So when we come back, we're going to dig into this a little bit more deeply. What are some specific questions that we should be asking ourselves of ourselves and of our community? And what are some specific ideas that we can imagine as we enter into a new way of doing church here at the end of the pandemic? We're talking with Tony Vicenda. He is the um, the, the founder, the co-founder of uh, Catholic Beard Balm. Go to catholicbalm.co to learn more. Also, when we come back, we're going to talk about Tony's new endeavor, the House of Broken Loaves, and so much more. Can be a part of the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And enter into this conversation. What are the things that you want to leave behind? And what are the things we need to run to as we enter back into life in the new normal? much more to come right after this you're listening to outside the walls with tl
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. One of the implications is that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. What does that mean? What does it look like specifically as we're coming out of this season of pandemic, where we have been prevented from living the fullness of our experience or previous experience of what the life of faith looks like. We've not been able to do it in community, at least not in large groups and face-to-face. We've been behind screens or behind masks or behind whatever else. And so as we come back into this, it could be really tempting just to say, man, I can't wait for everything to get back to normal. A lot of us have been able to go back to mass. And one of the things we've noticed is it's still not back to normal. We are separated by great distances. We don't get to say hello to one another or hug or any of those other things. We don't get to sing most places. It feels different. And so the temptation is to say, man, I can't wait for everything to go back to normal. But the question is, is normal in the way that we have experienced it the right place for us to go? Or are we being called at this time in this season to a different way of doing parish? To help us explore that a little bit more in depth is my good friend Tony Vicenda uh, joining us on air. He, um, gosh, you just, you always have like a million things going on. We talked about uh, Catholic Beard Balm, CatholicBalm.co. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the House of Broken Loaves coming up here because I think that's central to what we're doing. And then I also want to talk about uh, a podcast you used to do and maybe we'll do again sometime in the future called The Threshold Podcast because I think that the the way that you handle those conversations is key to the way we understand parish and key to the way we understand um, setting the world on fire in, in uh, in, in a way that that changes the whole landscape. So Tony, I mean, Jesus said he came to set the world on fire and oh, how he wishes it was already burning. Um, Like there's a desire by God. And that's, that can seem like heavy imagery. Like when we talk about, about fire and brimstone, I think there's a, there's a tendency anytime we talk about fire to think kind of immediately to the negative destructive quality, as opposed to the, the purifying and passionate quality of what it means uh, to be on fire. St. Catherine of Siena, like it famously talks about, uh, be who we're called to be and we'll set the world on fire. Uh, and for me, I think that's that's an, an immediate question that comes to mind that I think parishes help us answer poorly historically. Um, well, I, I should say in modernity, um, that is a question everyone should be asking right now is, uh, who am I? You know, what are my gifts? Mm-hmm. Um, and how am I using them to spread this fire of faith that, that we've been given? I, you know, you go to the average parish uh, before the pandemic, and ask to get involved or say you want to grow in your faith, they're going to maybe throw you in a Bible study. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll throw you into a faith formation program for adults if they have them, but more than likely they're going to put you to work. Hey, I want to grow in my faith. Oh, that's great. Um, we could really use a lector at the 9am mass or, Hey, I really want to grow in my faith. Awesome. Youth ministry always needs volunteers, right? Like these are, this is the response. And there's no even like, is that, are you interested in that? Do you want that? And those are actually great places you can potentially grow in your faith. It's not people are asking. It's also not potentially what people are called to. Part of the reality with with the rise of clericalism in, in the church, which is, you know, like uh, elevating clergy above what they're supposed to is also the clericalization of the laity moving, saying basically, if you're not doing the kind of things priests do, they don't necessarily have value as opposed to saying like, what's proper to the laity? Like, what is good for the laity to be doing? What are your unique gifts? What are you passionate about? And how is the parish helping you do that. I think that starts with the question, who am I? Uh, what are my gifts? And what's a way that I could be living that out in the world, which might be getting involved in a parish ministry, 
Uh, it also might mean the parish supporting you and going doing ministry in in a very different way, um, which I think most parishes have no idea. It doesn't even enter into their mindset. If you said, I want to get more involved, I want to grow in my faith. Um, I think getting getting into formation and making sure you're doing at least one or two courses or, or formation a series a year as an adult, I think is essential to continuing to grow in your faith on top of your own personal prayer life. Um, but how we serve or how we use the gifts that God's given us are, are so essential to that. And, and most people don't even know what those are or what they're supposed to signify. And most parishes aren't encouraging people to use those outside of the parish, which I actually think is the biggest shift we need to look at in a lot of ways. Well, you do. You have the sense of, and again, you and I have both worked in parish ministry for a very long time. And so we're talking about this in, from some extent from an inside perspective. Um there is this thing of, hey, I'm coming to you who work in the parish, and I'm telling you I want to get more involved in my faith, and I want to get more involved in my parish, and we go straight back to that thought of the parish as the building and the programs, rather than the parish being the whole boundaries that uh, of the people who live within the boundaries of the, of the, uh, uh, the ecclesial boundaries of the parish. Um we immediately go to, okay, well, what is the thing that I, that we have programmatically here or the need that we have um, structurally here to plug you in so that you can be involved in the quote-unquote parish, um, often without regard to what that person's current experience of faith is. This is something that we've talked about on the show before. You and I have talked about it through the Forming mm-hmm. Intentional Disciples stuff. This whole idea of does this person have an encounter with the person of Christ, maybe the first thing I need to do is sit them down and say, hey, let's go spend some time in adoration together. Let's go spend some time in contemplation. Are you formed in mental prayer? What are the things that we can do to help you grow in your faith so that you are actually being fed uh, and won't end up burning out? Um, but then how do I get to a place where we begin thinking about the parish as, what can I do to serve in my parish? Oh, well, let's look at the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. You've done this a yeah. little bit with House of Broken Loaves. Yeah, so we started House of Broken Loaves as part of our move, and it was great timing. You know, we 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 moved our family away from good friends like you across across the country to Philadelphia, uh, got here, took a couple months to get into our house, um, uh, set up the House of Broken Loaves, which was really a, a, an attempt by our family to extend the mission of the parish into our neighborhoods, the three or four streets right around us to get to know our neighbors, to, to enter into table fellowship, to have meals with them, um, to, to gather around, to, to create and live lives of attraction and service towards them that might make them curious about the way we live our lives and allow us to have a natural invitation in which to share our faith with them, not as projects, but just as people, just as a group of people that we wanted to really intentionally love and care for knowing that in the middle of that, God does his transforming work through that love. So that's what we wanted to do. And we started that process and then the entire world shut down uh, (laughs) and nobody's allowed to go anywhere. And you certainly don't want to go to somebody's house you don't know uh, and eat with them. And so um, it's been interesting kind of some of the shifts that we've even had to think about during the pandemic. So for us, it moved from having people over for meals. Uh, and, and like a part of it, it's, it's all new. Like we're figuring this out. I'm not an expert. You know, we're not doing all this perfectly, but um, you know, I do something every Saturday now called the great gluten giveaway. I just post out in our neighborhood groups and I'm like, I'm going to bake today. I'm going to give away, you know, this many loaves of bread or this many cedar. I, I, I'll make scones sometimes. Um, 
and and just say, you know, if you're interested in something, you know, comment below and I'll I'll give it out. And this is a way to to reach out to connect our neighbors. Um, to to form relationships with them. We we did some gathered events before everything closed down that were phenomenal. Um, a lot of people who came were kind of already uh, Catholic and we may have known them. Some of them were neighbors, lots of, some of them were unchurched. Um, so we, we'd started the process, um, but that really came through discerning our gifts. You know, what were our charisms? What's our unique calling as a household? And how could we be living that out? And one of the things my wife and I noticed were just this pattern of having people over on a regular basis, um, which may not sound super groundbreaking or super mind-blowing, but we would have people over. And the vast majority of the times we had people over, they were they were looking for something. They were curious for something. And they were really kind of saying, asking us to step into this role, almost of surrogate parents. Um, we almost have always had people living with us who were between homes at different points in times who were kind of seeking some form of guidance or um, who were just going through a rough time and wanted support and were looking for people they could talk to about that, who they could trust. And so we thought, you know, like this is obviously God showing us that we, mm-hmm. we're, we're able to connect with the unchurched. Um, they, they come to us looking for information, for support, for guidance. And lots of times we're doing that on a human level and we're praying within for those people. And certainly they know that we're, we're Catholics and that we're Christians. Um, but are we being explicit about that? Um, are we letting prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit lead the way in that? And are we leaning into those charisms as a way to build the kingdom and to live out our calling within a parish? And now I worked at a church, and so that's an easy distraction to feel like I was doing God's work, but it wasn't really, I realized, what I was called to. I always tell people, you know, if you want a group, especially in youth ministry circles, if you want uh, to work really closely with a group of eight to 10 teenagers every week, week in, week out, um, that's not what a youth minister does. That's what a small group leader does. And so if you want to be working directly with young people, um, you should be a small group leader. When you're the youth minister, your job is to coordinate the ministry. And so I was doing coordinating a lot of ministries as director of evangelization, and they were being successful. They were bearing a lot of fruit. It was all good stuff. But I realized my heart was that I wanted to sit down at a table with people who had questions, who were hurting, who were lonely, who were far from God, and have a meal with them and let them be seen and known and heard and to operate in that moment uh, in whatever limited capacity I can um, as a, a member of the body of Christ and being present to them as Christ would be present to them as a way to invite them into relationship with them, uh, to answer their questions, to respond to that calling of their heart. Um, and it's way simpler than people think it is a lot of the time. Like it's not having an eloquent speech prepared or being ready to answer their, their deep theological questions that those come up. Um, or even having to pray with or for them, though I do that a lot. It's the being able to be there, being able to love them in the unique way that I am called to. Um, and then, you know, the question becomes, how do we do that as a family? How do we orient ourselves around family prayer? Um, how do we make sure that our spiritual lives are at the root of what we're doing? And so that we're not kind of just off on our own doing whatever we want. Uh, but that we're really extending the church and the kingdom into the lives of these people and into our neighborhood. So let, let's, um, first of all, I want to point people to, you mentioned this, that this is what you're called to. Um, not everyone is going to be duplicating the the way that you have experienced and, and lived out church from your home. Uh, everyone's got a different charism, a gift that's given to them at the, at their confirmation as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the places that you can 
Go to help discern what your charism is, is the Siena Institute. Catherine of Siena Institute mm-hmm. uh, has the called and gifted seminars. I think they've recently put them up online. They uh, are. There are ways to go through that where you are, and I encourage you to do that. Um, so I'm going to just throw that out there, Siena.org. But now I want to get when you get to doing your interview for stage two, because there's three stages you right? should do at least the first two, because the, the assessment you're going to do just the first one, you get to the second one say, can Tony be my interviewer? And then you and I get to sit down and, and I'll help you go through all that information and, and learn the process for discernment. Um, Cause it's one of my favorite things that I get to do is have threshold conversations with people and help them discern their gifts. Um, so check out, yeah, CNN Institute. It's all online now. Um, I'm one of the interviewing team. It may not be me. It may be somebody else. You can't ask for me. You don't have to. Everybody's great. <laughs> um, but uh, I would actually say, especially to men out there right now, mm-hmm. um, not that I, I wouldn't love to talk to um, all of your female listeners, but I have done scores of interviews and I've talked to no men in that entire time. I would really encourage men who are listening, if you're thinking, you know, how does God want to use me to grow the kingdom? Or, hey, I feel really confused and like, I don't know what to do now. Maybe you've lost your job. Uh, maybe you're going through a really hard transition right now as people aren't at work. I just want to say to the men out there, um, consider um, doing this and then doing the follow-up interview process. And women... It would be excellent for you to do also. So in, in this last uh, five minutes that we have here, I want to talk about what your charism is and what I have seen from the outside watching you. You answer people's questions and objections better than anyone I know, and you do it by not necessarily jumping into an answer, but you clarify the question like three or four times and make sure you actually are hearing the person. And so often that's something that we miss in our exchanges with one another. And it's something that's so essential as we look at um, setting the world on fire. We do that not by being incendiary, but by being winsome, right? We do that through these conversations. So talk just a little bit about your experience, which uh, Threshold Podcast, you've done a whole lot of this. Talking with people who are outside the faith, uh, have you found them to be threatened by the fact that you're in the faith or on guard or what are the things that you've seen in these conversations that makes a, a real difference in their lives? Yeah. So one of my, one of my, you know, it's, it's been amazing. I've done, I've done actually like about 47 episodes, only 40 of them are up. Hopefully one day we'll eventually put new episodes up. But um, the, uh, you know, I'll start off with people who are very, they're hesitant to come on. Maybe uh, they, they don't know what the conversation is going to look like. A lot of, I realized about 10 episodes in, a lot of what I have to do is just affirm people, especially if they don't know me. This isn't a trap. Like this isn't, this isn't, a, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to get you on and then flip the script on you all of a sudden. You don't have to answer questions. You can push back. You know, we edit everything. I'll let you listen to it before it airs if you want to. Um, and you can say no to anything. A lot of adults don't know they can say no to answering a question um, or, or being a part of a situation. This is actually something that, that we've learned a lot through those conversations and through some of the other work that I do. A lot of people don't just, know that they can say, I would like to not do that right now. <laughs> That's really important, especially especially as we have conversations about maybe a priest is asking you to, to step into a volunteer role that you just really feel, for being open to what other people may see in you is important, but being able to say like, uh, like no, um, that's not what I feel called to is, is also really, really good. Um, so, you know, a, a big part of it has been just kind of reaffirming that. Uh, I start out beforehand with prayer. Um, start by just getting to know them on a human level. Nothing's, nothing's about spiritual matters. It's just, you know, what would you do with a day of your life if you didn't have to do anything else? If you had 24 hours free and we, we weren't in a world that was shut down, what would you do? What's your, 
you have any superpower, what superpower would you gonna, you have? Um, you know, what's, you know, if they mention books, what's in your book stack right now that you're reading? What's your three favorite songs that you've ever heard? Things like that. Um, and what I'm really looking for in that time is just, is just moments of authentic human connections, the things that they love that I might love also that I might be completely unaware of. Um, or that may have shaped them in some way, shape, or form. You know, if somebody tells me in their 24-hour free day that they would go hiking, you know, maybe there's a love of nature there. If they say they would really just want to spend it with friends and family and they would want to make everybody a meal, well, where, where does that desire to cook and to care for people come from? You know, those are the things that I'm kind of thinking about and looking for. And then I'll, I'll shift it pretty early on and do it just, just, hey, if you had a few minutes to tell me what you thought about life and faith, um, what would you say, you know? And they're able to respond to that however they want to. Um, and we just process through it. And I do ask clarifying questions. And, you know, I really appreciate what you said about, about being able to, to answer people's questions. Uh, well, it's definitely, uh, I would give certainly glory to God. And I'm, I'm thankful that he, he uses me that way. Um, you know, sometimes my ability to answer people's questions comes from the ability to, to know that I don't have an answer. Right. Well, and to know that if anything else, that they're just wanting to be heard. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that stands out to me so much is that when you listen, you're not listening to be able to give an answer. You're not formulating in your head what needs to be said next as they're still talking. You're listening and absorbing and you give time to formulate your answer, but it shows that you have actually listened. You're not quick yeah. on the draw to say, oh, well, this if you just do this one, two, three, four, five, you're going to be set. You don't have a, a set answer pre-prepared uh, that's just waiting for the right trigger word to launch off into. Yeah. Which is how I operate in my daily life. I mean, you can ask my wife. Uh, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Again, I'm not perfect at this. It, it takes an intentional reality. And, and a big part of it in that is, is telling myself in advance, like I'm just here. And, and what I've actually described threshold conversations with uh, to people every, every once in a while that my, my editor, Mark loves hearing me say is it's me spending an hour falling in love with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, it's me spending an hour trying to love that person in the way that I believe that Jesus loves me and loves them. And I think when we put ourselves in that position, it's humbling for one thing. Uh, and it also allows us to realize our own limitations within that, but it focuses us fully out of those answers. And maybe I feel prompted to give an answer sometimes, you know, um, I, I never, if they, if they ask me a question, I don't, I don't not respond. Um, but the point is it is, it is an interview. It is a dialogue. It is a conversation. And I want to know not only what they think, but why they think that. Cause I find the underpinning things, the, the assumptions that come out of that, the life experiences that come out of that are far more informative than the answer is. Um, mm -hmm. Because lots of times as you dive into why someone thinks things, that's where you're going to find one of the transcendental realities which you can use to evangelize mm -hmm. we're talking with tony vicinda he's got a whole bunch of stuff we're going to put it all up on social media the the catholic beard bomb catholicbomb.co the threshold conversations the house of broken loaves go to our social media facebook.com slash step outside the walls twitter the handles at outside the walls there you will find all the copious amounts of links tony thanks for being with us today thank you if you missed any part of my conversation with Tony or you want to go back and listen to it again, you can find all of our archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com, as well as extra segments available to all of our Patreon supporters. Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. 
Oh, I love that sound. It's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library over at Verbum.com. Uh, we're turning our attention now to the prophet Jeremiah, where we hear this. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Rise up, be off to the potter's house. There I will give you my message. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at the wheel. Whenever the object of clay which he was making turned out badly in his hand, he tried again, making of the clay another object of whatever sort he pleased. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do to you, house of Israel, as this potter has done? says the Lord. Indeed, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and how fitting that is for us right now as we are thinking about changing the way we go back to normal whether that be school for your children this year, whether that be the way that we worship or do parish life as a community, we are clay in the hands of the potter. And, it, and it's really important for us in this time to listen and to be humble and to be moldable by the hand of God, that in the ways that he wants to change us, to take out the imperfections that maybe we have allowed in through our own will Maybe this is the time for us to submit and to listen and move with the promptings of the Holy Spirit so that we can be productive vessels in the hands of the Lord. Our reading from church history comes from a sermon by St. Augustine. Our Lord's words teach us that though we labor among the many distractions of this world, we should have but one goal. For we are but travelers on a journey without as yet a fixed abode. We are on our way, not yet in our native land. We are in a state of longing, not yet of enjoyment. But let us continue on our way, and continue without sloth or respite, so that we may ultimately arrive at our destination. Mary and Martha were sisters, related not only by blood, but also by religious aspirations. They stayed close to our Lord, and both served him harmoniously when he was among them. Martha welcomed him as travelers are welcomed, but in her case, the maidservant received her Lord, the invalid her Savior, the creature her Creator, to serve him bodily food while she was to be fed by the Spirit. For the Lord willed to put on the form of a slave, and under this form to be fed by his own servants, out of condescension and not out of need. For this was indeed condescension, to present himself to be fed. Since he was in the flesh, he would indeed be hungry and thirsty. Thus was the Lord received as a guest who came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them the power to become sons of God, adopting those who were servants and making them his brothers, ransoming the captives and making them his co-heirs. No one of you should say, Blessed are they who have deserved to receive Christ into their homes. 
Do not grieve or complain that you were born in a time when you can no longer see God in the flesh. He did not, in fact, take this privilege from you. As he says, whatever you have done to the least of my brothers, you did to me. But you, Martha, if I may say so, are blessed for your good service and for your labors you seek the reward of peace. Now you are much occupied in nourishing the body, admittedly a holy one. But when you come to the heavenly homeland, will you find a traveler to welcome, someone hungry to feed or thirsty to whom you may give drink, someone ill whom you could visit or quarreling whom you could reconcile or dead whom you could bury? No. There will be none of these tasks there. What you will find there is what Mary chose. There we shall not feed others. We ourselves shall be fed. Thus, what Mary chose in this life will be realized there in all its fullness. She was gathering the fragments from that rich banquet, the Word of God. Do you wish to know what we will have there? The Lord himself tells us when he says of his servants, Amen, I say to you, you will make them recline, and passing, he will serve them. That reading comes from a homily by St. Augustine. And there's so much that I want to get to here. Uh, Let's just, we don't have a lot of time, so let's look at a couple of things. First is this idea that the mission of the church is to, to serve Christ. And we talk about this in the intro to the show. Uh, this is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Christ in their neighbors. Whatever we do to the least of these, the brethren of Christ, we do to him. And so, uh, don't say, oh man, I wish I'd lived way back when, like Mary and Martha, where I could have had Christ in my home, because Christ has told us himself that we may have Christ in our home, that whatever we do for others, whatever hospitality we show, whatever work of mercy we do, we do that for Christ. And so one of the ways, and we talked with with Tony about his ability to really sit and listen and be with another person, and I think that a large part of that comes from this exercise of looking for and finding Christ in the other person. And so, whatever we do to the least of these, that very thing we've done to Christ. And we have to do it now, because as St. Augustine tells us, once we get to heaven, there will be no more to do, right? There, there will be no one to feed. There, there will be no one to clothe. So, so now is the time, the good and right and acceptable time to do these things, to do the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy. And this is our privilege to welcome Christ into our homes, to feed Christ, to do all of these things, knowing that by doing this, we will have that returned to us by Christ himself as we are fed by him when we reach our heavenly homeland. So that's all the time we have for today. Let's go forth. Let's make our return to the life of faith a rich one. Today's show is brought to you by Tina and Phil Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.